Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Jesse Dayton has lived a lot of lives, gone a lot of places, done a lot of things, played a lot of music, a lot of different kinds of music. We go way back, as you'll discover in the course of this interview. We were both kids together, and now we are both grown-ass men. And it's kind of hilarious, but I've always recognized in Jesse a depth that a lot of his contemporaries lacked, you know, a willingness to be vulnerable and real, and that's what makes him a great guest for Wheels Off. It was Really sweet for me to get to catch up with him. He had just returned from an ambitious tour that he and his crew were able to survive without anybody getting sick, and they made all the dates happen. And you know, it's tricky. The, you know, that's the, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I know a lot of tours are not able to pull that off in this day and age. I'm proud of Jesse for doing it. I'm also proud of him for his new memoir, Bow Monster, that's out and is great. It's a weird life that he has lived. You'll get a taste of it during this interview. If you are interested, I highly recommend digging all the way in with his memoir, Bow Monster. And obviously, if you're not familiar with his music, there's a lot of great music. In fact, he has a couple of album titles that sound like they could come from my catalog. The Revealer being one of them. He's a good dude. I'm so grateful that I got to speak with my old friend, Jesse Dayton. So please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wheels Off. The great Jesse Dayton. Welcome to Wheels Off, Jesse Dayton. It's so great to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. And it's, I really, uh, it's an honor to be here. I appreciate you making the effort. I know you just got off tour last night before we're taping this. Yeah, it was a uh, long tour, arduous tour. Uh, it was very strange touring in this new pandemic world that we live in and um and we went out and we did almost two months it was you know it was over six weeks so um and it was just bizarre but it was also great and you know we were well i was telling you earlier before we jumped on here that i was trying to be very vigilant with me and my guys we stripped it down we did an acoustic tour um that way we didn't come out of the gate you know with too high of expectations and um it went great i mean thankfully i had this new book out so that really kind of really floated the whole thing did you read from the book because i know it was the bow monster tour which by the way congratulations it's so cool thank you so much um, I didn't read from the book on stage. I just told the stories like, you know, on stage. 
Yeah. Uh, but I did do uh, some really cool bookstores where they asked me to read from the book. Nice. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And, you know, it's funny. I feel like I've known you forever, like since the Road Kings days. Yeah. And, and we were both child prodigies or whatever we were. <laughs> um, but I didn't even realize the, the life you've lived. What was it like revisiting all of that in writing your memoir? It was bizarre. I mean, you know, um, I think the reason why the book is doing as well as it is right now is because I was this genre hopping guitar player who, you know, most books that you read, it's like we started a band, we became super successful, we got strung out, we broke up, we all got our lives back together. Maybe somebody passed away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and and this book's it has any is anything to do with any of that? It's it's and it's and but it's still got some cool star power in it for people who are, you know, um, it's not a tell all book. I'm the only one I throw under the bus. So and I really throw myself hard under the bus. Um. So it's not like a dirt thing, but there is some real insight and behind the scenes stories. So it's funny when I think of your career, I think of I mean not just flexibility. You 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 mentioned genre hopping. Um, I just think that y you are you know so uh, malleable and cool and open minded that you can do a lot of things with a lot of people. But when I think about your career, I really think about perseverance and persistence and you know maintaining a level of high quality over a lot of years well i mean uh, you know the high quality that's the nice of you to say and that's for <laughs> other that's for other people to uh, say but i will you know it's interesting you and i played a show together uh for this festival that ryan bingham did and it was getting really cold. And I was like, hey, Rhett, I just got this new RV. Come on the RV. And we started talking about, you know, how long we had known each other and, and things that we kind of had to overcome and, and, and how we've had to kind of, you talk about being malleable or whatever, like we've had to kind of reposition our lives to where we can continue to do what we love doing which is the goal. The goal is to ultimately be able to have the freedom to do what we did back when we were kids. And, and that was a real interesting conversation because what some of the things you said really stuck with me. And I think you were writing a children's book at the time. And, um, but you know, a big part of it for me was about eight years ago, man, I, I went to a checkup with a doctor and I just, I hadn't really been taking care of myself and, and I wasn't, you know, uh, abusive, uh, you know, you know, kind of, I was just kind of still pretending that I was a grown man, but I was 22 years old. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and then and it happens to a lot of guys our age and, and, um, but, you know, what really helped me, um, you know, have be able to have the, you know, the rock and roll, you know, honky tonk superpowers is like I went into the doctor and the doctor said, man, your numbers are horrible. 
He goes, you're like a walking time bomb. And I was like, really? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, like, I'm talking like any second now. You could like stroke, heart attack, whatever, you know. He's like, what do you eat? I said, well, I eat Mexican food. I eat barbecue. Uh, I'm Cajun. I grew up on, you know, I grew up eating gumbo. He goes, well, that's all terrible. And he's, <laughs> he's, he's like, do you drink? I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> It's like, what do you drink? I'm like, mostly whiskey. And uh, I said, but I love beer, too. And, and, and he's, he's like, do you smoke? Do you, do you smoke? I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and he goes, you know, he's like, man, you got to, like, change your life. You know, like, he goes, this is really bad. So I I literally walked out the door that day and I just changed my entire game and it was weird because it didn't take long it was like within like six weeks i looked like a different person and and i felt better and you know i i really curtailed my drinking to like almost nothing right and and i still don't drink now i don't drink hardly at all i didn't drink this whole tour um, cause I think I, cause people work hard and they have to buy gas money and tickets and merchandise and all that stuff. And they don't want to see you showing up, you know, haggard and hungover and none of us are Keith Richards. Right. Yeah. And so that was, you know, to make a long story short, that was the beginning of where I thought the quality started. Everything started getting a lot better. Oh, that's great. And the clarity that it affords, you know, and it makes you appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because you've seen a lot of sides of the rock and roll world. And I think one misconception that, uh, you know, I talked to this teenager the other day who's like, tell me about rock and roll. What are the groupies like? You know, like it was all that. <laughs> like he wanted to know the dirt from the book, The Dirt. And, yeah, um, right. <laughs> um. So I just I I wonder because that misconception is so pervasive and pernicious, right? That the yes. the way to success, the way to true greatness, is through self destruction, self annihilation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, and we all romanticized it terribly when we were young, and that's what we saw. And especially, you know, I'm I'm double nickels, man. I was born in '66, so I got to see the tail end of everything that was cool you know i mean it was no big deal for like you know to turn on night flight on saturday night and david bowie would be being interviewed and and playing songs or my father would take me to see george jones at the jefferson theater and all this involved you know drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and you know um uh, and uh and so, but one thing I realized is that I, I tried to live like my heroes and it was killing me. And, um, and you know, I, listen, I, I'm not some big do-gooder, you know, I'm not trying to sell our listeners right now some big, like, Eastern philosophy epiphany. You know, part of it was just vanity. And the other part of it was just like, Hey, if I want to keep playing guitar for people, this is what I got to do. 
So, you know, I'd like to say that there was some spiritual awakening and there was to a certain degree, you know, there definitely, like you said earlier, the clarity's amazing. Like the things you notice and you see that you didn't see before and little things you could tell when other people have that consciousness, you know, instead of let's meet for a drink, let's meet for coffee and you meet, you know, and that kind of stuff. And you see like these older stars that I'll play guitar with stuff that have that, uh, that kind of consciousness. But, but yeah, I hear, I hear you, man. And, you know, I'll be, I'll be real honest, man. It, It took me a long time to grow up. You know, I was, uh, I was a pretty immature person, you know, for quite a while. And, and I, you know, I had great parents and, and I always had a spiritual consciousness and my parents were the first ones to make it out of the oil field and become like kind of academics. And, you know, I was probably the only little kid in my redneck neighborhood in Beaumont that had like a New Yorker magazine in the bathroom. So, you know, but those things now in my life are coming in handy. So I wonder about that kid in Beaumont. Do you remember always wanting to do this thing, to play guitar, to be a musician? Uh, is, or is, was there like an epiphany moment? Do you remember realizing this is what I'm going to be? Well, I realized, uh, well, the first thing, was I saw Chuck Berry on Johnny Carson and saw him doing the duck walk. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I was just, it was riveting. It was like, you know, and he's still my favorite. Like, you know, I think he's the greatest lyricist of all time. And I think Dylan will tell you that, you know, but, um, but, you know, a, a bigger epiphany was when I started learning how to play guitar and and then i got around guys who'd been playing for years and i was much better and quicker than they were you know and then i was like oh wow i'm not that great of a shortstop but i can do this so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna stay with this And you loved it too, right? I, I just, I asked because I just spoke with a, a woman, Laura Stevenson, who was so great. And I eventually I sort of caught her out in this because it wasn't completely true. But at a certain point she said, I don't even know that I like music. I'm just good at it and I do it and people like it when I do it. So I just keep doing it. And eventually wow. I, I sort of got her to admit that she does like it, but it was yeah. shocking to hear that. Yeah, it's shocking to me for, <laughs> to hear that because, you know, that's music's kind of our God we pray to and it's it's the it's the all you know encompassing universal healing thing it just makes everything better for me and um and i hope that i've imparted that you know to my son and um and you know i married a woman who couldn't be from a more different background than i'm from who has spent her life in music as well. Um, but yes, I mean, you know, I met this cool black guy and while well, I was on vacation with my parents in Boulder and he had played with Johnny and Edgar Winter's white trash band. Johnny and Edgar Winter uh, are from my hometown and they grew up two blocks away from me. My parents knew their parents. 
And so um, when he found out that I was from Beaumont, he was like, let me show you some chords. So he showed me the three Hays. He showed me how to play Hey, Hey, My, My by Neil Young, uh, Hey, Joe by Jimi Hendrix, and Hey, Good Looking by Hank Williams. <laughs> and I'm still doing variations of those three songs with everything I do today. So I love that. If I get nothing else out of this interview, the three Hays just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've already touched on this a lot, and it's something because I, you know, um, you've spent a lot of time in different kinds of music uh, that don't necessarily uh, get a lot of pub for being introspective, thoughtful, deep. We both know that that's incorrect, like country music, rockabilly music. They're filled sure. with people who are deep thinkers. But I wonder, I wonder about this for you, like when you've come up against internally generated obstacles, doubt, um, imposter syndrome, these are things that come up a lot in these conversations or success guilt has come up. Yeah. Uh, but just the, the, the kind of anxieties that that aren't external, you know, it's not like being poor right. or having to what, but it's just this, those roadblocks we build for ourselves. When you've come up against them, what have you figured out uh, as a trick, as a secret to get through them? Well, one thing, you know, that happens is I am definitely my parents' child. And, and, and I think about how my family, you know, my parents being the first ones to make it out of the oil field and go to the university and become academics and the rest of the family kind of treating them like, oh, they think they're, you know, snooty thing, you know, it's a very country kind of rural way of of thinking, you know, and, and so, but I feel that way with what I've done too. And, and listen, there are, you know, there's a reason why those cliches are in, uh, roots music, rockabilly and country, especially it's because, uh, you know, there, I mean, there isn't that higher learning. There isn't that, uh, you know, self awareness in a lot of that. I mean, you know, it kind of bums me out, too, to a certain degree. And that's what I always loved about when Dylan went to Nashville and he started trying to make music, you know, smarter than it was. I mean, he was I don't think he was intentionally trying to do that, but it just came out like that. And, and it started influencing. And I always tell you know, the traditionalist people who really wear me out because I'm a total music nerd and I probably know more about those records than they do. Um, but what kills me is they, you know, they're not looking at, they kind of, you know, it's kind of what's happening in, in, in contemporary politics where they kind of, there's a mismemorization. There's a, they misremembered things intentionally uh, to fit their own narrative. And, and if you look at, um, you know, I love the late 60s country music and early 70s country music because, you know, those fans of Waylon Jennings did not know that Are You Ready for the Country was written by Neil Young. Uh, they didn't know that George Jones was singing a song by uh, James Taylor. Um, who wrote Bartender Blues, one of the greatest 
ever songs ever. And they didn't know that, you know, they were upset when Johnny Cash wanted to put this, you know, um, anti-war protester, Bob Dylan on this television show. And so that's where I live. I live right in the middle smack dab in the heart of all that. And I do it 24 hours, seven days a week all the time, because to me, that truth is where you find all the good stuff, you know? And when you just kind of check out and say, okay, I'm going to do this and the rest of this doesn't matter. It's almost like kind of musical racism in a way. It's weird. It's like you're depriving yourself of like so much goodness. And, you know, and that's, and America's built on this, you know, Bernard Levy calls it the grand experiment. You know, it's the big, you know, it's, it's more than a melting pot. It's, it's, it's generated all these brilliant hybrids and it's kind of scary about, you know, how the corporations are kind of destroying that right now, but they've still got people like me and Rhett Miller. So. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to dealing with those kind of those anxieties, those thorny things that come up in your mind, like for you, then the solution is to just confront them head on to really try and um, live an examined life is sort of what you're saying. Like, yeah, I mean, one thing that helps me a lot is like, well, meditation started helping me running, started helping me because, you know, um, the shitty committee in my head is is huge. I have a huge chorus <laughs> of of people, and they, you know, you're not, you don't belong here. Uh, you know, it's like, like I had it um, a few days before Halloween. I was rehearsing with Danzig in Los Angeles, and before he came in, I was nervous because, you know, I'd heard all these stories about how intense he was and all this. And he called me to play um, these Elvis, this uh, all Elvis songs. And, and, you know, and before these people walk in, you think, oh man, you know, I hope this goes right. And I, you know, like, and you have that doubt, but I've learned to use that doubt and I've learned to use that fear and, now I'm just old enough now to where I care about more, but I care less about what people think. Yeah. So, but so now I've used, I can use that anxiety and that fear and all that. And I can actually, you know, put that in the trajectory of my performance. And and, you know, it's that whole thing. I mean, you, but opening your arms to the universe is a scary concept because that's what really the people who do great things, that's what they're doing. They're opening their arms to the universe and saying, okay, what do you got? Like, what, do you, what are you going to throw at me? And, and, you know, that's a scary thing to do. People, they don't want to do that. People want, you know, structure and they want boundaries and they want um, things that happen regularly every day, day in and day out. And that's great for a, you know, um, you know, controlled life, but it's not great for, you know, taking the risk that's going to pay off and, and, you know, big stuff 
requires big risk. I love that. That's that should be the tagline of of this podcast about creativity. Big stuff requires big risk. I love yeah. it. Man, you're so cool. I, I, so, okay, so I'm going to ask you to, because um, you've shared a lot of great wisdom. I'm wondering if you could sort of distill it for us. And imagine if you were to run into a version of yourself at the age of 21, but living and working in today's world. Um, yeah. What advice might you give yourself? Oh, man. You know, I, I would probably the very first thing that I would do in, in this, uh, you know, hey, this might sound hokey, but I don't care. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Um, I'm sure there's some woman in, in uh, you know, Des Moines right now who loves Rhett Miller, who's listening to this, who <laughs> might be rolling her eyes. But I would have told myself that you need to love yourself more. Like that's the biggest thing, not any of this like discipline or any of this slow down and smell the roses. You don't slow down and smell the roses when you're 21, when you're 21, you're supposed to be on fire. You're supposed to be, you know, I mean, every mistake I made was a, a step towards the other stuff like failure like you're going to be failing as much as you are or more you know when you're trying to turn one a uh, thousand no's into one yes you know but and that's all great that's all great but one thing I didn't do when I was younger because I didn't have that kind of spiritual consciousness is I didn't love myself enough and in every situation that I got myself into, when I look back on my life back then, that was not good, not productive. It was because I wasn't standing up for myself, for my self-worth, because ultimately I didn't have any self-love. And, you know, it's that whole, like, you're on the airplane and then the mask drops and they say, put yours on before you put the person's on next to you. And um, not that I was some selfless, you know, trying to help everybody else. I wasn't that guy either. Um, but, you know, that whole self-love thing is, man, I think, you know, it's amazing when you meet younger people who have it. It's kind of shocking, actually, because they have an immediate sense of direction and and they know conceptually who they are and what they're capable of. And, and uh, they can tell you immediately, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. Mm. And when you meet people like, I think this Billy Ellish girl and, you know, people like that, you see them and you go, Oh yeah, they had that early on. It's, that's a, that's a kind of heavy kind of God thing. If you want to call it God, you know? God, I love that. That's uh, it really, to me, that really boils it down. And I've done, I don't know, how, 110 episodes of this and talked to, you know, all these creative people and so much of what they wish they could have imparted to their younger selves really boils down to that. It's, you know, we don't, we don't love ourselves enough in, in this culture, uh, or maybe it's humans, all human beings. Yeah. I don't know. 
So it's you, weird. You have something interesting that uh, before we go, I'd like to tap into just a little, if you don't mind. You got to spend a lot of time when you were pretty young around, um, you know, some of my, my idols, specifically Johnny Cash and Waylon. And I did a little time with Waylon, um, never got to meet Johnny Cash. Uh, I wonder, did they ever... Um, either intentionally or accidentally impart any kind of wisdom to you that you think about now, carry around? Is there anything that you can pass on to the listeners of our program? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think about it in the, you know, I talk about it in the book. I have a whole chapter on Johnny Cash. And, you know, um, it was crazy because this woman named Evelyn Shriver, who used to be the head of MCA Records in Nashville, she came into the Continental Club and see me one night. And she got, and she and she'd become a publicist for the Highwaymen. Uh, she'd left MCA and she worked on Music Row. And she said, "Look, I'll never get you, you know, heavy New York accent. I'll never get you on radio, but I might be able to get you on television." And I was like. Great. So I got in my truck. I drove to Nashville. Didn't have a record deal. Didn't have a manager. Didn't have an agent. Nothing. Couldn't afford to stay in by the Grand Ole Opry where they were shooting the show. And I had to stay out in the bricks. And um, she gets me on this real square TV show called Crook and Chase. And for a free thinker like me, you know, it was like an inch below the Christian Broadcasting Network for me, you know, and there's all, it's in the nineties and all these people are there with these Garth Brooks, like kind of really bad clothes on and mullets and, and I'm super nice to everybody, but I'm thinking, ah, you know, whatever, this will be something I can tell my parents I did. And, and then right before I go on the show, she goes, um, Hey, Chris Christopherson's going to be on the show tonight and he wants to meet you because he hears you're from Texas. And I was like, oh, God, I'm sitting there like getting pancake makeup on with Ralph Emery, you know. And so Chris comes in and, you know, he looks like your normal, super beautiful leading man slash Oxford educated genius, you know, and it's like. He's literally like one of the most beautiful people I've ever seen, you know, and um, and he goes, hey, after we get done, he goes, I'm going over to Gibson Guitar Factory. They're going to open up for me. And he goes, you want to come over with me? And I was like, absolutely. So we jump in this car and we smoke a joint and I'd start and we talk about Bukowski and he's surprised that I've read Bukowski. And I'm at the time, I didn't realize this guy probably hung out with Charles Bukowski. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I'll go home back to the hotel, the crappy motel out in the bricks and tell my mom that I hung out with her crush. And, and so the next morning, my, the phone rings and it's, um, this voice says, Hey, Hoss, I tracked you down. I saw you on TV last night with Chris. We want to come play some guitar for me at Woodland Studios. And it was, I said, who is this? He said, it's Waylon Jennings. And, and that was the big, you know, like the switcherooski, you know? And so I drove my truck over there and knocked on the door. And by the way, all this is on YouTube. If you, you know, and I knocked on the door and Johnny Cash opened the door and he goes, you're going to stand there with, he goes, you're going to stand there with your mouth open or come in and play that thing. And <laughs> And then he t 
twists the knife and goes, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. And, and then he puts his arm around me and we walk down this hallway to go into Woodland. He goes, son, have you ever seen aliens? And I go, like, real aliens? He goes, no, like the movie Aliens. And I was like, oh, yeah, Sigourney Weaver, Ridley Scott, I love aliens. He goes, well, me and Waylon just watched it last night for the first time. He goes, I do a pretty good impression of uh, Bill Paxton. And, and, uh, and he got on the microphone and he goes, we're all fucked and doomed. <laughs> and he doesn't sound he doesn't sound anything <laughs> like Bill Paxton, everything like Johnny Cash. <laughs> But back to your question, seeing them spiritually or the aura that Johnny Cash had was just this buzzing. He was buzzing at a higher frequency than everyone else was in the room. And when June would come in, it was even more romantic than they made it in the movies. Like he would literally throw his paper down and rush over to her and hold her and say, I've missed you. And I'm so glad you're here. And Oh my God, it was just unbelievable. Man, that's so cool. Well, so, but I think the takeaway is Johnny Cash thinks that we're all fucking doomed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the takeaway, the takeaway was, um, he did tell me, he goes, you know, you're, you're different. And he said, I think it's going to take you uh, a longer um, for people to become aware of you, but I think you'll have a longer career because of it. And, and Waylon was the same way, you know, Waylon was still kind of ornery and kind of badass, and, and, uh, but he would talk about Shooter and him hanging out, watching uh, 80s horror movies together. And, and, you know, it just, all that stuff, you think about it now, and it, it made me think about how I want to be and not wait till I get to their age to be that way. Because it took them that whole huge learning curve of all their debauchery, like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, it's funny because those guys, right, they could scoreboard you all day long. They could ignore you. They don't have to be nice. They don't have to be anything, you know. Yeah. And, and that was my experience with Waylon was that he, I couldn't believe how generous he was. Yeah. You know? um, oh, that's sweet, man. Oh, and that's the other thing you just reminded me of him and seeing Waylon and Shooter together. And, and now, you know, knowing Rose, Roseanne Cash and just a little bit, you know, when, when people bring up her dad to her, she goes, look, I know he's your hero, but he's my dad. Right. And so I think right. about the way these guys did make an effort to be a real human being in their lives. Right. And not just be a cliche or a one dimensional rock star. And that's pretty sweet. That's been that's been good for me to think about with my kids. I saw Roseanne the other night at the uh, Steve Earle uh, show. Towns. Yeah. Town Hall. She was great. Her husband is like. Yeah. I mean, when they say tasty musician, mm-hmm. they're taught. I mean, that guy's like, he's like somewhere up there in like Richard Thompson, Mark Knopfler territory, like genius stuff. Yeah, he like understands music theory on a, on a molecular yeah. level. We, we did a gig together, a Beatles gig, and whoever was on stage while we weren't, uh, played through a tricky jazz chord in a song just with like, you know, with like a, a regular chord, like it was maybe yeah. like a, a diminished and they played an A or something. And he yeah. looked at me and he goes, they just missed the chord. 
I would never do that. I would oh, stand, yeah. stand for that. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, I would, I would do that. <laughs> he does not suffer fools. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> oh my God. It's good. Uh, Jesse, man, this is so great. I, I can't wait till I get to see you again in real life, but I appreciate having gotten to spend some time with you virtually here. And thank you so much. Congratulations on Bow Monster. It's so exciting. You're a multi-hyphenate now. And th- thanks for being on Wheels Off. Thanks for having me, my brother. We've, uh, we, go, we go all the way back to Deep Ellum in Dallas when we were both little kids, basically. Mm. Mm. And look at us now. Yep. Still doing. <laughs> I love you, man. Take care. Love you, buddy. Take care. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Osiris. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.